So, Dan, before we get started today, we just wanted to take a moment to let everyone know about something new from Bloomberg. Do you want to hear what it is? Go for it. Well, starting now, you can actually use our iOS app or Bloomberg's Google Chrome extension to scan any news story on any website, instantly revealing relevant news and market data from Bloomberg and other sources related to the companies and the people you're reading about. So really, no matter where you're reading the news, you can bring the power of Bloomberg's news and data with you. It's pretty amazing. Download our iOS app or search for the Bloomberg extension on the Chrome store to try it out. Learn more at Bloomberg.com backslash lens. What the heck is going on in Brazil? Didn't they just remove one president amid alleged corruption? Then the vice president took over. Now he's facing demands he quit. He reportedly okayed hush money to a former House Speaker who, of course, is himself in jail for graft. Impeaching Dilma Rousseff, the previous president, was supposed to put an end to the country's problems, at least according to one narrative. And all the while, the economy one of the world's largest, continues to contract. The country's worst recession. Welcome to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Moss, Executive Editor for Economics in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, an Economics Editor with Bloomberg in Washington. You know, Scott, you thought politics in the U.S. had become divisive. Yet here we are for the second time in a year. We have to sort through this Brazilian thicket of economic and political difficulties. Thank God we have Viviani Rodriguez here with us, Managing Editor at Bloomberg for Latin American Economic and Government News. Viv, in a way, I'm sorry to say we're welcoming you back a second time to talk about this. Yes, it is almost like stranger than fiction then. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I find it difficult to believe that both Brazilians expected to be living this situation again just about 12 months after you impeached a president in a very traumatic form. Now, you're probably the best person of Bloomberg to decipher all this for us. You were born in Sao Paulo. You reside in New York. You've lived and reported in Brazil Argentina, Mexico, and now you're in charge of not just Latin American economics, but Latin American government as well. So look, help us out here. The narrative went, once we get rid of President Dilma Rousseff, all the country's problems will be solved and the economy can take off. What? Yes, there's, there's two ways of seeing this question, right? I mean, there was a lot of instability uh, given the situation of Rousseff and the Workers' Party in the build-up for, uh, for the impeachment. Actually, the country was just completely un unmanageable and ungovernable. So people really wanted to see that situation addressed. And a lot of people, especially markets, right, said, wow, the moment Rousseff goes, the moment the Workers' Party goes from Brazil presidency, I mean, everything will be served, you know, markets will take off, everything will be just fine, obviously. What happened is that the state, the poor state of Brazil economy was so tremendous, right, that the lift back 
that economy from the depths of a, of a horrific recession proved way more difficult than anyone has anticipated, especially in the absence of some sort of commodity boom helping an economy uh, like Brazil. But also the fact that the Brazilian political system is, is, is really flawed and the, that corruption has been running rampant in the system. And that is not something that you eradicate. So in one go. Viv, can you elaborate on that for a minute and put all that in some uh, historical context for us? I mean, what is it deep in the political and economic structure of Brazil that produces these lurches from crisis to crisis and it produces so much corruption, as you just mentioned? Well, I mean, crisis to crisis, I would say, I mean, obviously, these are emerging market economies, I mean, heavily dependent on commodity prices. So if you, if, once you analyze just economically speaking, I mean, it's, it's Brazil is not alone in that dependence of, of external stimulus, right? But I, I believe your question is more related to the fact, is there something in, in Brazil and in the political system that put us uh, in this situation again? Uh, yes and no, right? I mean, it, it is still pretty much, a, a, you can say, a new democracy, new democracy giving that uh, the country has got back from uh, from the dictatorship in 1985, right? Some of these governments and some of these party systems is, is, a, is a, we have like 35 parties in Brazil. It's, it's a very fractured uh, Congress. And there's just a way of doing business in the countries that has always uh, meddled and, and, and put, you know, big money, big government and big companies together. Right. And, and for a lot of people in Brazil, especially people in the political class in Congress, it's just the way business has always been done. Can this be traced back to its time as a Portuguese colony? Well, perhaps it's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, there is a culture, obviously, of, of the very big states owning very big companies and big enterprise, a system where, where bureaucracy is very large and, and everywhere you go, you turn and you have a, a government arm there. So it's, it's probably fair to say that you, a system of, you know, buying someone to issue a stamp for you to get something done. I mean, it's probably happening for, for the past five, uh, 500 years. But in this particular case, I mean, it's, it's just that in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, it became really institutionalized as you involve pretty much everybody and every branch in the government has been very uh, especially fi financing the big concessions the, the the big business uh, I mean you you could see you know all these company executives and it, just paying so many deputies and, 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 and ministers and everybody just in order to get things done now this is a very fast moving story put us inside the room. What supposedly happened, and you just talked about getting a stamp for something, all of a sudden we're talking about a meatpacking company. Well, what, what happened in this particular situation? Let's contextualize this. I mean, you have to remember that for the last three years in Brazil, you have uh, an ongoing and massive probe called a uh, car wash. We can discuss the name <laughs> shortly, but this this basically what happened here is that this a group of prosecutors, of federal prosecutors, started really unearthing and prosecuting and going after uh, big cover up schemes and kickback schemes, initially involving uh, mostly the state oil uh, company Petrobras. Right. But as they started digging forward, I mean, you started seeing that this type of uh, kickback scheme, you know, was uh, almost major companies in Brazil were involved with all of this and, and with the government, uh, you know, with the bags of money flowing in both directions here. 
in this particular case, I mean, what happened last week is that you had uh, two executives connected to JBS, which is the world's largest uh, meat producing company. Um, these men are billionaires and, and, as you can imagine, run a, a immensely large and, and powerful company in People Brazil. like Brazilian steak. Precisely. Right. And they uh, basically recorded a conversation with, with the president in which allegedly the president gave his endorsement for these executives to keep paying hush money to the man you cited earlier on, uh, the former Speaker of the House, Eduardo Cunha, who is now in jail, to just keep quiet, right? Uh, and they presented this uh, recording to prosecutors in car wash as evidence trying to cut some sort of plea uh, bargain uh, uh, agreements here to avoid prosecution or, you know, or avoid jail. Viv and Dan, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when we covered Brazil as one of the four BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, that were known as the emerging markets where you could get pretty solid economic growth, uh, driven in part by commodity boom. And, uh, you know, Brazil's economy had been growing at a pretty nice rate some years ago. And, uh, you know, I wonder how much of this corruption or how much of this is coming to light because you have an economic situation now where uh, Brazil's economy has actually been shrinking and it's just not the leading light that it used to be. Well, it's definitely part of the problem. The economy started to slow a couple of years ago, and this aggravated the problems of Dilma Rousseff, for sure. I mean, she had to handle uh, you know, unemployment and, and uh, deficits and so on and so forth. But there's no doubt also that the crisis itself aggravated the problem. Right. So now we're in a situation a little bit the chicken and the egg, right? I mean, the tragedy in all of this is that we were beginning to see, after one year for the first time, uh, last month, the beginning of some green shoots here. I mean, there's been some progress, especially in inflation front. The central bank has been very aggressive to contain inflation. Interest rates were going down. So you were seeing people beginning to feel more comfortable in taking longer-term financing, for example. And right now, you have brought the country again to a complete standstill. We were on the verge of, of voting very key, important reforms, especially the pension reform. It was expected to be put to uh, to a vote uh, uh, in coming days. And now the finance minister just said it's going to take at the very least weeks, if, I mean, uh, at all, we're going to see these pass in what some sh uh, shape or form. So obviously, this does not bode well at all for Brazil. So Viv, just so we can be completely clear about this, what troubles Brazil's political class is not corruption per se, but poor economic performance. If you want to extrapolate, mid-70s in the US, the economy wasn't doing well, Nixon left. Late 90s, economy doing well, Bill Clinton stays. Brazil, economy doing poorly, Rousseff leaves. Economy still doing poorly, Tema, question mark? Well, I mean, it's harder to put together uh, a position, right, and to get your voice heard if the economy is booming. You know, you, you better have things that are very, very strong in order to get people's attention, right? But when economies are weak, I mean, people start 
they're going to start investigating why they're weak to begin with. And people want to be, they want more accountability of the money uh, that is out there. And that's when they started poking around and realized that a lot of the money in the case of Brazil, it started disappearing, right? Remember, Dilma was impeached by and large by the meddling with the country's fiscal accounts. I think it's, we shouldn't say that, you know, the, there wouldn't be corruption in Brazil. Uh, it's just the, the weak economy. I, I, I disagree with you in that one. I, I do think that it was easier to hide that, much easier to hide that when things are going fine, right? Now that things are not going well, I mean, it's, it's just become way more difficult to, uh, to, to hide that you were stealing billions and billions from, uh, from taxpayers. Viv, can you talk a little bit about the divisions we've seen between the what the markets are saying and what the public uh, thinks. I mean, you had a, a pretty significant run-up in the country's stock market over the past year uh, as markets saw the new president's reform plans as, as a way to boost the economy. And, and you know, the contraction in the economy uh, hasn't been as bad as it was before. And, and the markets took a pretty big plunge on the news of this latest, uh, this latest tape and investigation. And, and on the other hand, the public perception of Temer's policy has been completely uh, a complete disaster. I mean, they, they hate him, don't they? What, what's going on here? You're right. I mean, he's an extremely unpopular president. His uh, approval ratings have been hovering around the 10 percent mark, which to try to, again, to rule on a Congress with so many parties is, is just like almost impossible. And, and, and you touched on a very interesting point. It has been a big question mark for us here as journalists, too. I mean, uh, people on the streets hate him. People on the streets, by and large, do not support his reforms. Uh, people are still feeling the pinch of, of, of economic recession. Uh, but yet markets just love him. Right. And we see this fantastic rally, I mean, predicated on, on, on this future Brazil boom that uh, have yet to come back. Right. I mean, so we we actually even wrote a couple of stories and say, well, our, our market's a little bit overshooting here or going a little bit too, too aggressive, too, too bullish on Brazil, given that the underlying fundamentals of the country are still far from uh, from where they should be to justify some asset prices, right? Some asset valuations here. I mean, especially the, the agribusiness sector is is doing very well or has has recovered considerably. But you have yet to see some portions of Brazilian industry really rebounding. And again, that that, that consumption. What we even had a name for it in Brazil, which called Milagre Brasileiro, which was the Brazilian miracle. When you started seeing people, you know, using credit cards and buying homes, cars, fridges, traveling. I mean, this is. We are far from a repeat. So I, like you, I ask myself, where is that optimism coming from? And and again, we've been saying that this is a fragile government. And, and we, we had proof of this uh, last Wednesday when the first the news first rep were reported about these tapes. I mean, in one hour, this, this rally, this bonanza, this belief in Brazil just completely disappeared. Right. So our suspicion, and when we talk to people uh, uh, who really analyze and, and, and investigate Brazil, is that until we actually have new direct elections with very legitimate and credible candidates and in a very legitimate and credible government, right, voted again directly by by uh, by people, I mean, you you will see uh, anyone in power to, to to be really under attack. Now, we have elections in Brazil every four years, just like the United States. It's also a fixed term. It's easy to forget this, but Dilma Rousseff was elected twice 
quite comfortably. So if we have fresh elections in Brazil and the economy is still contracting, the car wash investigation is still alive, rattling around. Where does that leave us? Well, the first time that she was elected, yes, she was elected quite comfortably. Second time, it was a much tighter margin. And that in Brazil is, is a problem, especially because, as I told you a couple of times, uh, the, the, the shakeup and, and the makeup of the Brazilian Congress, right? Uh, also, there's been questionings that surfaced uh, throughout the impeachment process about the way that they portray during the financing, for doing the campaign, the true state of Brazil, Brazil's economy, and, and, and it has been agreed by some people and by some of the authorities that the government kind of uh, fiddled with the numbers there, right? So the, the economy wasn't doing nearly as well as it was in the build-up to, uh, to her re-election. So, I mean, going forward, I mean, it, and this is what is really interesting, we, were, we all thought that this was going to be a transition government, that Tamer was going to be the guy who was going to lay the foundations and, you know, uh, uh, end the bleeding of Brazil, stabilize the economy, lay the grounds for a couple of big, big reforms. And the next group, right, and come 2018, you bring the people to the streets, you vote for the new, new president, and you, and you have a, uh, a new country. But now... It's all, you know, a big question mark again. But let's say then we get a great election result, a great slate of candidates, whoever they may be, and commodities are still where they are right now. Can Brazil be great without commodities? And by the way, why is it still so dependent on commodities? Well, several questions here. First, we don't know if we're going to have elections in 2018 or if we're going to have elections much earlier. Right? We've got to see what comes and what happens with this uh, investigation on the president. He's now really hanging by, uh, by, by a thread there. Right? But assuming, you know, somehow he pulls straight and then we really just get to, uh, to, the, to the urns in 2018. I mean, why are we so dependent on commodity? I mean, look at the makeup of Brazil's as a country. I mean, it's not a problem per se to be dependent uh, on on commodities. I mean, it's, you're exploring your natural uh, advantages. And actually, Brazil's agribusiness sector is extremely e efficient and competitive. So the question here is not whether Brazil should diminish its dependence on commodities, but should what does Brazil do with the money that it generates with the agribusiness sector and with the commodities? Do we invest in education? Do we promote other industries and services? Where does it go now? Precisely, right? Where is it going? I mean, a good chunk of it apparently has been siphoned to, to you know, to just uh, subsidize some of these so-called national champions, right? And I mean, in massive works and massive corruption, that took a lot of money from Brazil's economy. I mean, are we in the business? Are, are we really competitive in some, uh, for example, the auto industry? which is to be very, very big in Brazil. Can we do this better than Mexico, for example? Big question. I, I honestly don't know the answer, but is this where we want to be competitive, for example, in Brazil? I mean, and again, I mean, do we, why don't we invest more in biotechnology? Why don't we invest more in software and services with a, with a society so, so large and diverse as Brazil society with so many large cities in Brazil? Do people own their houses? Do they, uh, again, do they go to school and high school and universities? And uh, not nearly as much as a country the size of Brazil and with the uh, the overall GDP uh, that the country possesses. No, this is one of the world's 10th largest economies, you know, over a trillion dollars GDP. 
why is Brazil not richer, right, or wealthier in a certain way? Before we wrap this up, I'm just dying to have you remind our listeners, what is car wash? How did this investigation get to be called car wash? Now, I've actually been to the gas station that where all this action supposedly unfolded. It's next to a steakhouse, but there's not actually a car wash there. Help us out with that. It's a bit of a mystery, to be honest with you. Yes. I mean, uh, it, the name just stuck and stayed. But it relates to this gas station. It relates to the gas station in Brasilia where some of these people will take, you know, in a car and uh, and give you know, all these bags of money and, and, you know, as part of this kickback scheme. And then one day someone also said, you know, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to the car wash. So, but there's, it's, it's all kind of a, a urban legend or lore on, on how the name kind of came to be. And and, and now it really stuck uh, and it became car wash. Let me finish with a, a question that's on my mind, Viv. At what point does this become a danger to democracy itself in Brazil, all these corruption investigations? Do, is the country going to backslide into military rule? Is there a possibility of electing uh, somebody who's a real, you know, more authoritarian than the current system provides? Or, or does Brazil have a fairly strong system, kind of parliamentary system at its core that, that will afford such protections? I do think that from from the risks that you uh, uh, raised here, the one that is potentially, uh, you know, with with more of a chance of taking place is, is that we could potentially choose a, a maverick or a, a very outsider. I wouldn't say an authoritarian, uh, because the checks and balances now in Brazil constitution will prevent a lot of things from happening. For example, but it's just a very populist guy. Right or woman who could potentially again. I mean, I'm going to elect myself, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to hunt everybody down. I'm going to fix all this by taking money from here and distributing. So, I mean, the disenchantment with the political class and the political establishment in Brazil is a reality. So, so we are prone now from an outsider to come in and potentially sweep the election. Someone with a completely unprepared to be. At sitting at the top place, which, by the way, is it's happening elsewhere in the globe right now. So, as per the democracy and military and the army on the streets, I've I, again, it's it's just not the conditions in Brazil right now. It, it isn't. People are not going that way. They are not saying only the military can solve this, or at least, you know, in in a in a consistent form. Brazilians are very attached now to the democratic process, and it will be really difficult for the society to backslide to that degree that they would, uh, you know, endorse in favor, you know, such such type of regime. And honestly, not even the army wants that. And, and and we, we don't have a, a system of armed forces in Brazil organized to take over the country, even if they want it, for example. Who wants a shrinking economy on their hands? Precisely. Viviani, great to talk to you. And as Brazil just struggles in this thicket of political and economic chaos, we're probably going to come back to you again. Thank you, Dan. You know, I thought the point, Scott, that Viviani made at the end about the army remaining in its barracks is a really critical one. I'm so glad you asked that. That's kind of the, the key point in the end. You know, we've, we've seen some other emerging markets actually 
uh, go back from democracy into military rule, or at least the one on my mind, for example, is is Thailand. So uh, they're you know they're still being ruled by the military uh, several years into into that regime. You know, it's a, it's a really fascinating situation with all the populism and uh, new leaders around the world. Something to keep an eye on. This actual gas station is a source of endless fascination for me. There is no car wash there, but I will say this, Scott, it is a massive gas station. And at night, it's bathed in a bright, bright white light. I mean, there is plenty of scope for stuff to go on at this gas station because it's vast, it's massive. Makes you wonder, right? <laughs> Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And uh, let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. Dan, you are at Moss underscore Eco. And Viv, you are at? I am at uh, Viv underscore Rod 13. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson, and the head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Alec McCabe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.